Welcome to episode 9 of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We stand at a pivotal point in our story. We've now transitioned from Abraham to Isaac. We are so glad you're able to join us at this point. But that means that if this is your first episode, you've missed quite a bit and it would be beneficial to you to stop right here and go immediately back and listen from the beginning. This will take you through the story of Abraham, Isaac's father, and uh, it would be a, a great blessing to you. You could also pick it up here. This is a good sort of middle point to join back in. Not a big deal. I am confident it will be fruitful for you and enjoyable, but I would recommend going back and listening to the whole story. My name is Mario. Glad to make your acquaintance. If you have comments or questions, feel free to find us on Facebook at Mario's Ministries. You can definitely leave us a comment there, or you can visit our website at mariosministries.com. Let's go. When we left off, Isaac had married Rebekah after the death of his mother, Abraham's wife, Sarah. And now we can start on Genesis chapter 25 with the account that Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah, and she bore him six children and ten grandchildren. Then we are told he died at a ripe old age of 175 years. He was buried with Sarah in that tomb he had purchased for her. We are then given the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham and Hagar's son, and we are told he lived to be 137 years old before he died. It is worth noting for future studies that his descendants settled, we are told in verse 18 of chapter 25, over against all his kinsmen. So some of the conflict we will read about in scripture later are born out of this arrangement. Then we get to Isaac, through whom the Abrahamic covenant, the promise God had made to Abraham, will be carried through. Isaac was 40 when he married Rebekah, and we get an interesting parallel right away because we're told that Isaac prayed for Rebekah, his wife, because she was barren. She couldn't have children. As those of you who have been listening for a while will remember, this was the struggle of his parents early on in their walk with the Lord. When they were given that promise of many descendants, as numerous as the stars, right? But they were not able to have children. So it is interesting to contrast how the two, Abraham on his own struggle, and now Isaac handled this situation, at least initially. You see, Abraham believed God from the beginning, which was huge under the circumstances. But both he and Sarah struggled with the infertility issue for a long time, to the point where they fell into that fool's errand we've discussed before of trying to help God keep his promise by making Abraham have a child with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. And as we've discussed, much pain ensued from that misguided decision. But here we're told now that Isaac prayed to God and the Lord granted his prayer. 
verse 21. Note, it was not an instantaneous prayer either. Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca, and he will be 60 by the time she gives birth. Therefore, we can calculate about 19 plus years of praying before Isaac's prayer for his wife was ultimately answered. I hope that is encouraging to some of you out there. Maybe you are that person that has been praying for a long time for something near and dear to your heart. And you must realize that God's timing is not human timing. We saw what he did in the life of Abraham. And here too we have, in the case of Isaac, a God waiting for his timing in answering Isaac's prayer. His timing is perfect. So trust him. Don't give up. We know for a fact that God hears our prayers and that he loves us that he will keep his word, his promises to us from generation to generation so we can trust him and his timing. Rebecca gets pregnant then, and we are told the children, plural, struggle within her. So yes, surprise, surprise, there's more than one baby in her womb, but it looks like the kicks and the movements she feels within her womb felt so out of the ordinary that she inquired of the Lord about it. Let's not miss that. This is admirable once again. God will answer her. And it shows us that God cares about everything in our lives. We do well when we inquire of Him instead of what most of us do, which is complain to God constantly about things like that. But Rebecca doesn't do that. She goes and inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answers her. Starting on verse 23, he says to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from with you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. The matter is revealed further than when Rebecca indeed has twins. The older is called Esau, the younger they named Jacob. And even as they come out of the womb, we are told Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel, further symbolizing that struggle God had explained to Rebekah. This revelation by the Lord then will weigh in in the hearts and minds of at least Rebekah that we know for sure, though we can safely assume she shared the word with her husband and perhaps her children. I think that is a safe assumption for us to make. We are told the boys grow up and Esau becomes a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, which means he was a man of the house, if you will. So in that sense, we can see how Esau became closer to his dad, as we are told, while Jacob gravitated towards his mother. We are told Isaac loved eating of Esau's game, which will be important for the event that we'll read about in the next chapter. But now we have a strange account before us that leaves us asking many questions, perhaps because we don't fully understand the weight of the birthright idea in Old Testament time. But here's what happens. Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the stew, for I am exhausted. 
Because of the response, we sort of figured that he was in bad shape. If you've ever been hiking and you run out of water or food, you might understand that things can get pretty desperate. One day I'll tell you about the story of my friend Ken and I on our adventure through the Appalachian Trail. But that's a story for another occasion. Esau here is desperate then. He asks for stew and Jacob seizes the opportunity and tells him, well, if you want some of my stew, sell me your birthright. Now, again, lots of questions. Was that a thing back then? The selling of the birthright? That is, was it common for somebody to sell their birthright? What are the effects of it? Why does Jacob do it? Was he aware of the promise God had given his mother? And was he trying to sort of help God to keep his promise as Abraham had done before him? We have already been told that Rebecca and Jacob were close. She loved him, so it would not be a stretch to think that Rebecca had laid it upon his heart about his destiny, what God has promised her. So it, maybe that's the case. The answer to those questions do not seem to be determinative, though. So let's continue reading. Esau does not seem to think it a big deal at all. For he tells him, I am about to die here. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob makes him swear. Esau does that. And Jacob gives him this too. Now, a strange account, I know. But thankfully, in order to understand this event, we have helped from other passages in Scripture, which is an essential principle for us to understand. I think we have covered this before. We read Scripture in light of Scripture. So, for this account, we have help from this very interesting passage in Hebrews 12, 15-17, where the writer tells us, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Wow. So there you have it. Note how it connects this story of Esau with God's grace and the guarding against allowing the root of bitterness to spring up on us. That is what Esau had allowed. And that's why he made the choice that he made. Some of you are there right now. You can feel the root of bitterness growing within you. And I want to sound the alarm for you. Danger. Stop. We make bad decisions when we allow bitterness to grow in our hearts. Therefore, repent, come to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob immediately. While there's still time, before you make a choice, you will regret. Do not be like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Note that the passage compares what Esau did to sexual immorality. Because isn't that the way, exactly the way, that many of our sexual immorality comes about? A husband or a wife feels neglected, 
perhaps unappreciated, lets bitterness enter his or her heart and now is ripe for the picking, as they say. In danger of making a choice, he or she will regret for the rest of his or her life. Many throw away their entire lives for a single meal, just like that, a night of pleasure, an act to blow up steam, to relax, to have a good time, to feel excitement. Only those times are very short and the regret lasts a lifetime, perhaps more. Do not be like Esau, scripture tells us. Do not neglect what is eternally good and pleasurable for a fleeting moment of perceived release. That sort of freedom enslaves. Certainly there's much more to say on that topic, but unfortunately we cannot stay here for long. So I commend you this story for further meditation and study. The Hebrew passage also gives us a glimpse of what is about to happen, that Esau will indeed regret his decision, but we're not quite there yet, so let's keep going. We are told next that there was a famine in the land, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, ostensibly to overcome the famine. We've already dealt with Abimelech of Gerar, king of the Philistines, before. In Genesis chapter 20, if you remember, he was one of the kings who took Sarah before realizing that she was Abraham's wife. But because of the passage of time, it is likely that this is a different Abimelech, perhaps his son, heir to the throne. There are several characters named Abimelech in scripture. At any rate, what happens next is that the Lord appears to Isaac and speaks to him. Let's read what he said. This is Genesis chapter 26 from 2 to 5. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. First of all, note God's faithfulness to Abraham. He will bless Isaac and his offspring for Abraham's faithfulness. Think about that. You parents out there giving so much of yourself, that's the sort of impact you can have in your family and children if you're faithful to God. Remember our term, this is the Abrahamic covenant still being unfolded through God's amazing grace and the promise of God again being found unshakable from generation to generation. You can count on God and his word 100% of the time. But secondly, he tells him not to go to Egypt. So Isaac settles in Gerar and You won't believe what we read about next, but he settles there and the men of the area are asking him about his wife, Rebecca, and guess what he decides to do. 
He was afraid, so he said she was his sister. And those of you who have been with me from the beginning are saying, No! How can this be? Seriously, he's going to follow his dad on that? Well, yes, apparently. And not surprisingly, really, if we are honest about our own human nature. Yes, we will fall in the same hole we saw our fathers fall. The many promises we made to ourselves to never be like them notwithstanding, right? We need God's grace just as much as they did. But we know Rebecca was beautiful and we understand then what could be about to happen. But thankfully, Abimelech was astute enough to notice something. Verse 8 of chapter 26 tells us that when he saw the two of them laughing together, Isaac and Rebekah that is, he knew something was up. So he called up Isaac and said to him, look man, don't give me none of this, she's my sister business, she's your wife. He didn't speak quite like that, but you get the idea. Isaac confesses the truth to Abimelech, and Abimelech says, what have you done? You could have brought guilt upon us. Which is interesting, don't you think? The Philistines, Abimelech, even though they don't know or serve Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they know that certain things are wrong. Which is interesting. Many philosophers and thinkers and theologians have explored this idea. How this moral law written in our hearts points us to a moral lawgiver, to God. Yet another thing for us to meditate on. But here, Abimelech lets everyone know that no one is to touch Rebekah as she is Isaac's wife. We are then told that the Lord blesses Isaac as Abraham was in his time in Gerar. He became very rich and the Philistines envied him. So they filled up all the wells they used, even the ones that Abraham had dug up. And Abimelech ultimately asked him to leave, for apparently Isaac had become more powerful than their entire kingdom. So Isaac leaves and settles in the valley of Gerar and has to dig up again the wells that Abraham had dug up during his time there and that the Philistine had covered up. But when the water came out, the herdsmen of Gerar fought them, saying that the water was theirs. So Isaac moved and dug a new well, but they fought him about that one too. So he moved and dug a third well, and was finally left in peace to use it. He called it Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him that same night he got there, and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So they built an altar there, and dug another well. Again, another confirmation of the Abrahamic covenant in Isaac's life. Interestingly, Abimelech and his advisors were indeed very afraid of Isaac's prosperity, so much so that they followed after him and asked that he made a pact with them not to harm them. Isaac does that, he puts a banquet for them, and they signed a pact, a new covenant of peace between them. 
Finally, we're told at the end of chapter 25 that when Esau was 48 years old, he took Judith and Basmath, daughters of two Hittites, to be his wives. Not a wise move, as you might expect, and we're quickly told that it made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And there is that word again. I believe the scriptures are sounding the alarm for us today. Bitterness. Do not let it take root in you. Fight it with all your heart. Trust in God fully. Trust in His word and His sovereignty and goodness and love for us. That is the answer to bitterness. What can man do to me? If you remember song David on several psalms. And it is affirmed for us again in Hebrews 13.6. We can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? Rest in that and don't fret. Do not let your anxieties rule. Leave them at the foot of the cross. One last event at the end of Isaac's life will mark the course of history. It's an important one, so I don't want to rush it. So we'll leave it there and pick it up next time. It begins in chapter 27 if you want to study ahead before we meet again. Should be fun. See you then. I will put my trust in God who alone knows my makeup. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.